This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by David Hughes. Dave, first Premier League weekend out the way, mate. You happy? Yeah, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the weekend, to be honest. Uh, I thought it was a really good weekend of football. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm very happy. Looking forward to what the uh, the next edition has in store for us this weekend. Two wins for both Merseyside clubs, mate. A win for Rafa Benitez. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I was going to say unexpected one, but I guess it it shouldn't have been un, unexpected. But there was it wasn't you know straightforward. But uh, yeah, two wins for the Merseyside clubs and um, a few surprise losses elsewhere, which uh, can only bode well for especially Liverpool in one instance. Yeah, and two wins as well for the weekly predictions, mate. We did well. We got a few messages in. <laughs> uh, it's about time, to be honest. It feels like it's been a while. Uh, but yeah, we both said 3-0, I'm pretty sure, and we both got it in. So hopefully that is a sign of things to come. Just a bit of fun anyway, isn't it, really? But um, yeah, it's nice to get off to a win and start. So we're going to talk about that game, going to speak about Norwich, and we're going to look ahead to Burnley this weekend. And maybe just a little chat somewhere in between about just first Premier League weekend, what we saw of our rivals, maybe what we think of them. Obviously, Manchester City lost. So, yeah, we'll see where we go with that one. But in terms of Norwich, Dave, I suppose scoreline-wise, exactly what we expected prediction-wise. Um, so I suppose on that front, it's, it's nice to get off to a winning start. Yeah, look, you know, it was... Um, I think considering how the game panned out, uh, it wasn't maybe as straightforward as the uh, as the 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 scoreline suggested or maybe as we thought um you know Norwich were by no means a war over uh I thought Carroll Road was quite hostile uh which is I guess to be expected all things considered first first game back in the Premier League fans back in etc so it wasn't an easy game for Liverpool uh but to, to you know to get that result I think you'll come up come away with a lot of confidence um and yeah, you know, it's a nice scoreline, isn't it, to start your season off? Uh, a potential banana skin avoided, I guess you could call it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Liverpool started that well. But I remember thinking to myself at the time, you know, fans back in the stadium, Norwich back in the Premier League, it was it was never going to be a comfortable, easy game where you get everything your way. It was going to be a case of, certainly in the early moments of the match, just kind of getting through it almost, not conceding keeping a hold over the game. Um, and I think Liverpool generally managed to get through the, the early stages fairly well. Um, and it just kind of presented a platform to move on from that. Like I'm thinking, say, for example, the first game of the whole weekend, I watched it live, Arsenal against Brentford. And you could see Brentford were quite obviously up for it and Arsenal conceded 22 minutes in. And then that kind of sets a little bit of a tone and for the rest of the game. Brentford have got something to hold on to. The fans have got a reason to be up. So I think from a Liverpool perspective, it was, to be honest, it was kind of the, the type of performance you'd see from champions, really, I think. Uh, just a team that knows how to win, a team that can win, maybe when they're not playing the best. And a team that still manages to keep a clean sheet, even despite the the chances that Norwich had to find the net. So yeah, 
decent start, but performance-wise, we can probably aim for better, can't we? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to the underlying numbers from the game and um, the performance in general. I think there was areas that, that could be improved. One or two key players didn't look quite at it. Um, we spoke about a couple of them, you know, before the podcast. Again, we'll, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. Uh, but you touched on that Brentford game. I think the context of the, the victory is key. You know, it, it did have the potential, didn't it, to be to be a, a bit of a problematic fixture. Um and you know that you talked about the goal, the early goal in the Brentford game, uh, setting the tone for the rest of that match. You know that result could have had the potential to set the tone for the rest of the the fixtures that weekend, predominantly for the side uh, facing newly promoted teams. Um, so you know it was half half kickoff on Saturday. It was never going to be easy. I think a couple of times, you know, Norwich had an extra 10, 10 or 20% of what they'd normally have when they were, you know, pressing Liverpool without the ball and creating some chances, getting in behind. But on the whole, you know, to still come away, all things considered, with a 3-0 win, it's a, it is a good result and definitely a good start of the season. Yeah, I mean, over the course of the weekend, there was only three away wins and Liverpool was obviously one of them. Another one was West Ham, who conceded two. And another one was Brighton against Burnley, and Brighton conceded first. And one of the set piece goals Brighton scored, people have argued, should have been disallowed and things. So for Liverpool to to go away from home and, and win 3 0, pretty comfortable on the scoreline side of things. As I said, it's the kind of thing that you'd see from champions, I think. So it, it showed a good level of maturity, I thought. Um, but obviously, this is a. Well, we, like to, we like to focus on performances more so than results, really, on this podcast. Um, and I actually thought that Liverpool, I thought we were about 6 out of 10, personally, performance-wise, that is. Um, I thought Liverpool Liverpool took the chances fairly well and things, but it, it was the kind of game that last season, it felt like Liverpool mightn't have, mightn't have won that game. Um, and if you look at the numbers, so... This is probably what I'm getting at. So when, when you hear the numbers, maybe people might be a bit surprised by this one because it was a 3-0 win. But Norwich took 15 shots and Liverpool took 19. So Liverpool's 19 is good, but facing 15 shots, I think Liverpool last season averaged about 8.5 faced per match. So Liverpool faced not far off double their usual amount against Norwich. Uh, even in terms of possession, it was it was forty nine fifty one, that was the share. So it was quite even when it comes to seeing the ball, which obviously isn't everything. But it's maybe a little bit of a surprise when it comes to Norwich. And it's then definitely expect- it's sorry, I didn't mean to cut you oh. off. I was going to say it is definitely rare though to see a team do that with Liverpool. You know, we weren't say a, a City or a real elite side. That was something I saw this morning and was quite shocked by that. You know, as you say, it's not to be all and end all, but it is interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think when it comes to the expected goals, uh, Norwich posted 1.4 and Liverpool posted bang on two. So I think what I'm getting at maybe is if we were to look at those numbers in isolation, Dave, and we hadn't seen the game, it, say say last week when we were recording, someone was to show us them numbers and they were going to say, those are the numbers from the game. I wouldn't have looked at that and thought, Liverpool 3-0. I, I, that looks like a tighter game and it looks like a game that could have gone either way almost. Um, 
you know, if you're allowing 15 shots and taking 19 yourself and the expected goals isn't that different. So I think when it, when it comes to looking at the numbers in isolation, what, you know, what I'm getting at is it, we wouldn't have been that confident last week, would we, if we'd have seen those? No, no, I think you're correct. Um, and I think what proves decisive now, if you kind of reflect on the match, is the quality Liverpool have in both boxes, uh, more specifically in this game particularly, um, Mohamed Salah in attack and obviously Alisson in goal. Um, you know, you've, in Salah, you've got like a player who's averaged, you know, 0.7 goals per 90 across the past four seasons, which is ridiculous. You know, he scores a, a brilliant goal himself. His assist was was clever to Firmino. Um, I know he had got an assist for Jotters as well, but I think that's a little bit less down to, you know, quality and maybe more just opportunist type. Um, but, you know, he he basically creates the decisive second, scores a great third. But then at the other end, you know, it'd, it'd be interesting to see if you put Salah in that Norwich team and, and I wonder what the result would have been in that situation, you know, with Puki going in on goal. Uh, if you swap him out for Salah, there's probably more chance that leads to a leading to a leading to a goal, and then yeah, Allison as well. Obviously, pulls off some important saves. You know, we put Allison in Norwich's goal. Does that change the results as well? I think it is literally um, in 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 this scenario anyway. I think the uh, the quality of players ultimately proved decisive in in both boxes. Yeah, what what you're getting at there, mate? It, it does sound like a um, you're only as good as your players situation. To be honest, doesn't it? Mm. Um, Obviously, Liverpool had fairly dominant centre-backs as well when it comes to the, the, the team that Klopp picked. Obviously, he fielded Matip and Van Dijk. I think we expected that. I think we predicted that last week. Um, general thoughts on Van Dijk? Because uh, he's been out for a while. Uh, I, I personally thought he was fine. Um, I thought he, was, he seemed a little bit hesitant in certain moments defensively. But not in a not in a bad way, more in a way of, you know, he's, he's getting himself back up to speed. He doesn't want to make a fool of himself, basically. And he, maybe he doesn't feel confident enough in himself to go and just throw an opponent to the floor, basically, and just go and get the ball, you know, that sort of thing. So in certain moments, I thought he kept his head and just managed the situation, which is what he's done anyway. Usually that's how he defends, isn't it? But I thought in certain moments he seemed a little bit hesitant, but I do think it's... It's understandable considering how long he's been away and I think the more minutes he gets, the more we'll see the the, the Van Dyke that we got used to. Not that he was bad in any way against Norwich, just the usual ridiculously dominant self where he full on puts on a show basically. Mm-hmm. I thought he was just he just played within himself almost and that just did the job, just did what was necessary. Um and it certainly helped. I think you know. I don't think he lost an aerial duel. I think he won all his aerial duels, which is nice. It's nice to have him back from set pieces, defending them and attacking them. I think mm. for for the Salah goal in particular, he was attracting a lot of attention in the penalty box. The ball gets headed out to Salah on the edge, and Salah has enough time and space to, to find the back of the net. So definitely a positive to have him back, Dave. Yeah, yeah. Look, it was a it was a competent display. I think I get the point you're probably trying to make is just. Van Dijk is is obviously a level above com- a Premier League kind of competent defender, um, and that and you can probably notice a little bit of a difference when he's not performing at that level. But um, yeah, I think he, he probably is just seeing it as as really, and not just him, you know, everyone around him. It, it's probably just key that he comes in with no drama really over these first few games. You know, just 
ease himself back in. You don't want him to make any, say, huge mistake um, that could knock confidence. Uh, he probably isn't still out 100% confidence either because injuries like that, you know it does take a little bit. Anyone who's played at any level will know this as well. Uh, but you know it does take a little bit of time to get your confidence back in your in your body, really, in your movements, you know, rely, how reliable, especially in the injury, it's really awkward because um, you do so much, don't you, with with your knees in terms of kind of changing direction and the, you're running the way, you, the way you're kind of doing your all-around defending. It's, it is really tricky. So he's, he is probably just getting back to confidence in, in, in terms of games uh, and back to his best. But look, it was, it, I, th- I still think it was a comforting first kind of Premier League appearance back. You know, he, he didn't stand out as a big issue, um, and he is probably now getting closer to to what we're used to. Um, and we did talk about this a little bit of a length last week, didn't we? Where we tried to say, you know, is this the perfect or one of the perfect games to bring him back in? Uh, you got Norwich away, fairly nice, and then uh, Burnley at home. I think they're two decent fixtures to to ease yourself back in because. On paper, at least, you shouldn't have had too much of a rough afternoon. Obviously, Norwich give a little bit more of a game than we than we probably give them credit for before kickoff, but it was still a good fixture thing to come back in because he's obviously got a different test potentially next week with the likes of Chris Wood and the, the aerial threat that, that he'll bring. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. There was, a, there was a game in pre-season, I think it might have been Van Dijk's first game back, and it was just one of them moments, you know, it, 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 but but he fell over, I think, in a, in, a, in a defensive action, something happened, you know, he fell over, and um, it, as I said, it was just one of them things, it can happen to any player, but it it did the rounds on socials, and rival fans made up with it, and all that sort of stuff, getting hope from me, and I think he probably just wanted to avoid anything like that. First game back, just ease yourself back in, nice and smooth. Seven out of ten, um, no major mishaps. Just do a job, and then just gradually do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And I think next week in particular, I think he he'll find next week even easier to be honest, because he's got less, much less of a threat running in behind him. It's virtually all aerial challenges, and Van Dyke's the best in the world, I think, when it comes to that sort of stuff. So. Having Van Dijk and Matip back in the team, I think should should bode really, really well for us when it comes to coping with Bernie's set on the weekend. On Matip as well, Matip's actually received plenty of praise um, on Twitter in the, in, in the days since the match. And I think rightfully so, you know, I don't think we talk about Matip enough. Matip's such a reliable player, mate. So reliable, he never puts a foot wrong. Very, very good on the ball. Good in the air. Wins most of his duels. He's quicker than you think as well, you know. Um, you know what the issue is though, Josh, don't you? Like, yeah, he's reliable on the pitch, but he's not he's reliable injuries. in terms of getting it on him. Like, you know, he'd be right up there for me. He would be right up there in the conversation if he just had consistency in terms of playing. You know, yeah. he'd be considered one of the league's best, but he's just not. He ne- he just doesn't do it. He, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he was out again. This coming weekend, um, <laughs> no, you know, we we hope not, of course, because he is a really good defender. But that's just always been the issue with him. Oh no! But I do think though, I do think when he plays, I I feel really really safe when he's on on the pitch. Probably more safe than I do when Gomez is playing. Mm. Um, he's just very very good, and we got him. We you know, we got him for free. Um, so he he was one of the club's first signs, and 
Uh, he played under Ross Rangick at Schalke. So Klopp was kind of aware of him through that. I think he maybe tried to get him at Dortmund and things. So he's been around Klopp for, for a while. And, you know, when he's at the when he's at the ground, when he's at the at the club and stuff, you, you never really hear from him, never really opens his mouth much. Just a really, a really, really positive player to have at the club. Just that, obviously the injury issues are not ideal, but whenever he's contributing, whenever he's playing, and when he's not playing really, he's, he's just never an issue, ne- never any kind of concern regarding him on the pitch or off the pitch regarding issues, contract problems, whatever, wanting to leave because he's not getting played enough for him. He's just a very, very good centre-back. Um, so I think the I think the praise has has been deserved really. Um, another defender who played was Kostas Simakas. First start in the Premier League. Uh, thoughts on this one? <laughs> this was a probably a, I think Klopp defined it quite well. He said uh, Kostas was really good, and then someone pulled the plug. <laughs> I thought that was a good way of putting it. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It was strange as you said, you know. Started really well, um, but the, it just seemed to de- decline maybe a little bit uh, as the game went on. Uh, I, d- I don't think he was a disaster by any stretch, and uh, just definitely positives um, to the point where I think I would definitely start means Burnley. Um, but I just, yeah, I, you don't know though, do you? Just should we talk about the psychological aspects of things? You know, you're probably adrenaline going that first like hour or whatever. You 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 really. You know, buzzing to be starting. I, I, that's the first Premier League start, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then maybe as the game goes on, and you know, a little bit of mental fatigue maybe kicking in, and the game kind of drifts away from it a little bit. But on the on the whole, I thought it was sold enough. And as I said, definitely, definitely going to going to be a start in my eyes against Burnley. I think some physical fatigue as well, you know, because considering he's just played full 90 minutes, he didn't come off as a substitute or anything like that. I know he's played a bit in pre-season, but it's been a while, a long time since Simicast played 90 minutes of competitive action for Liverpool, for any club, really. Um, you know, he played some some minutes for Liverpool last season in, in the, like, the Carabao Cup and things. But in the Premier League, it's a different animal, first game of the season. And I think just naturally that adrenaline does make you use up a bit, a bit more energy than usual. And obviously not as work quite threatening at times. So I, I do think that maybe around 70 minutes. I think it's it's understandable if he just got tired, basically. Um, and I think moving forward, that'll probably happen less. The adrenaline will be there a little bit less because he's now played his first his full debut and stuff. So, And I think when it comes to Burnley, although he's not suited to managing aerial problems I do think he'll get worked a bit less just because Bernie will see less of the ball the, the possession share that we highlighted before when it comes to Norwich that will definitely not be the case when it comes to Burnley Burnley play a standard 4-4-2 every week we'll know what to expect Um, so I think moving forward we can expect him to be a bit calmer and a bit more assured for the full 90 minutes but I think against Norwich and looking in pre-season on the positive side I think his delivery is spot on. I think he's really good when it comes to crossing the ball into the box. Lots of good technique there. Um, to the extent that he's taken set pieces from the from that side of the pitch when it comes to corners, free kicks. Um, it's just when it comes to maybe his, his, his work without the ball and his focus maybe at times just looked like it needed to refine it a little bit. But other than that, you know, first, first debut for Liverpool, first game of the season. 
I thought he generally got got through it okay. Mm. Um, another play, another player who's who's come on the back of this when it comes to being in the media spotlight a little bit is Naby Keita. Um, obviously, it was a bit of a makeshift midfield for Liverpool. It wasn't the best midfield, to be honest, in the way it worked. But have you got any thoughts on Keita? Whether Keita can probably be the one out of that trio to keep his place? I'd expect Ox to come out, to be honest, at some point. Mm-hmm. I'd expect Milner to come out for Fabinho, certainly. But I think Naby, Naby could keep his place, I think, uh, for, for the next couple of weeks and, un, until maybe he suffers from a knock, which hopefully doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, that wouldn't be the first, would it? Um, yeah, look again. We're all right. I mean, I suppose actually it's been. I was going to say, you look at Keaton, you see a little bit of the the massive stuff, but the reality is actually that you know he uh, he hasn't always produced his best form for Liverpool, has he? Uh, but yeah, it wasn't. If you look at the the, the midfield to begin with on paper, um, it wasn't really that strong. It was of Milner, wasn't it? Keaton and uh, Ox. Yeah, I mean that's that's arguably what Liverpool's second string midfield if everybody's fit and available. Um third string. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it could be. So I'm not being harsh in saying that. So just, I think it's it is difficult to perform in there, but I thought he he he'd done a good job. Um and yeah, you kind of look at if it depends who comes back in, doesn't it? I'll probably ask what you think on that uh, in terms of who's going to come back in you know the likes of Thiago Henderson a little bit closer to where he should be I imagine now um, but given who Liverpool play next uh, Burnley you know it's probably going to be a case of trying to break them down um, creating some spaces uh, pulling players out of their fairly rigid shape um, you know his, his kind of ability on the ball being able to dribble being able to thread a pass and things I think could be quite important so providing he is fit I'll be honest Josh I'd be inclined to leave him in the side uh, and just see if finally he can get a couple of games under his belt and start getting a bit of a run I would give him in a team I wouldn't think twice about it um, I got asked to write about him actually on the back of the game by uh, by the echo and just looking at his performance I thought it was I thought it was generally Liverpool's best midfielder on the day probably best midfielder on the park on the day. Um, one thing I did like about his performance, I, I like it when he's deployed on the left of a, of a trio because just the way he uses the ball, the way he carries the ball, he, he kind of pushes the ball forward and stuff with the outside of his foot and that's a lot more suited to a right footer if he's playing on the left of a trio, I think. Um, whereas other times he's played from the field, he's, he's almost been forced to play on the right where Ox was and where Henderson usually is, just because Wine Album's always there. Wine Album's he, he never misses a game. I actually looked at the numbers yesterday. Since Case has signed, um, Liverpool have played 115 Premier League games, and Wine Album has featured in 110 of them. So, you know that's such a dominant player there. He's just not giving you the sniff, basically. And I think without Wine Album there, whenever Case is used. Or a lot of the time, Keith is used at least. He he might be able to take up that left side mm-hmm. spot, and I think I think he he prefers that a lot compared to the right. It's just very very different, I think. Um, and if you look at his numbers from the day, only misplaced three passes, which offers a bit of ball retention in there, which is what we know why Aldam usually offers. But specifically when it comes to his pressing, this is one of the reasons Liverpool highlighted them as such a 
suitable player to what we were doing and why Liverpool have had such faith in this player. He's just a, a pressing monster, really. He just naturally does it. Like, he was subbed on the 82nd minute, so he played eight minutes fewer than a few of the names I'm going to mention now. But Keita ranked top for the for the match, for pressures. Um, 31 pressures for the game. So, in second place was Salah on 24. And then it was Pierre Lise Mello for Norwich on 19. Um, Oxley Chamberlain, who played, you could argue, the same role as Naby as a number eight in Klopp's midfield. Uh, although Ox only played an hour, but Ox had 18 pressures. Sadio Mane, 17 pressures. Uh, Todd Cantwell, 18 pressures. Billy Gilmore, 13 pressures. So for Naby to post 31, he's just that that type of player. He's just naturally proactive with, with and without the ball. And it's, ju- it's just the Liverpool way, I suppose. So when I was talking about those numbers, those, those highlights, those stood out to me. Um, as why he's just naturally a really good Liverpool fit when he's on his game. I think there's been certain matches, specifically when it comes to mind, maybe, where he's just, I don't know if it's positionally or or what, but he, something just hasn't really worked in the midfield. It's looked at times where he's, he's not specifically sure of where he's supposed to be at times. But when it's right, when everything's cohesive and things like that, he is capable of just being a really, really good, really clop, Midfield, and I think when it comes to being a proper all rounder, just a jack of all trades, good at everything, which is what Wayne Alden was. But I think Naby's just got a higher ceiling than than Wayne Alden when it comes to being good at everything. They both they were both good at everything, but I think Naby just a bit better at most things. But Wayne Alden was just a bit more reliable when it comes to doing it every week, guaranteed almost. Mm. So yeah, I think. All in all, I think he's just a really good Liverpool fit and I hope it works for him. I hope he, I hope he stays fit. Mm. Well, the big thing Keita has over Wijnaldum, beyond the obvious of, uh, you know, bit. well, I say, obviously he's less reliable uh, in terms of being on the pitch, but the bit, the biggest thing he has over them, uh, which would be so important, is beyond being, you know, a pressing machine and doing that stuff really well without the ball, he's just got so much more in his locker with it. Now, we did always t- try and toss up between was was that Wijnaldum not capable uh, or, you know, that was more of a, a tactical thing or instructions from Klopp. Uh, we're, we're probably inclined to think it was the latter uh, because he, he did it so well for the Netherlands national team. You know, he was he was that kind of penetrative figure in many ways. But I just think Keita, it just comes more naturally to him in a Liverpool shirt. He is more penetrative. He can he dribbles better. He uh, he can pick a pass better. He can thread a pass better. He's just a he's just he's got everything without the ball. You know, which I'm sure is a, a benefit of coming through the likes of Salzburg and Leipzig. You know, it's the perfect kind of breeding ground for that that sort of playing. But then his his ability with the ball is really underrated, I think, and um, and that's why he'd be so important because he'd give you so much on both sides of the game. So, as we've had this conversation many a time, if Liverpool can just get him playing week in, week out, then he, he could really have such a big influence on that midfield. And uh, we saw a little bit of that uh, on Saturday. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. 
Well, I've said this in the past. I've, I've always been curious as to how Liverpool's, specifically Liverpool's data departments, have, have looked at Wijnaldum and how they've kind of valued them. Because most underlying numbers are associated with, you know, events, on-ball actions, not not stuff to do with off-the-ball and things. That's a little bit more advanced. And we know that Liverpool are, are exploring that sort of thing in recent years and things with tracking data and all that sort of stuff. But when it comes to specifically the numbers we talk about on this show, a player gets rated according to his, his on-ball actions, basically his events. And when it comes to Wayne Allen's events over the years, he, he never really... He always did very little when it comes to the underlying numbers, at least. It just looked like he was very quiet um, on the ball and off the ball. Like, his, the way I've just mentioned Naby Precious there, uh, finishing top of the, of, of the match for, for Precious with 31. Wijnaldum was never close, never even close to that. And it, it never felt like he was a, a passenger defensively, Wijnaldum. But it, it felt like he was more than that, to be honest. It felt like he was a worker, but when it comes to the numbers, it never really showed up. When I never really showed up when it comes to you know the likes of I don't know progressive passes, through passes, whatever, just those va- key passes, those valuable areas that that Keita does. To be honest, Keita is very similar to White Alum in many areas, but just when it comes to valuable actions and quantifying actions, they're very different because Keita is just a numbers obsessive. He's an output merchant, if you like. When Alden was just always a lot quieter, and I do wonder if that played a part as to why Liverpool deemed him as not worth keeping. Um, just because he, on a number side of things, on a data side of things, and we know Liverpool are very data driven. When Alden always looked like he, he wasn't really doing that much. Mm. So, yeah, that's always been a, a curiosity of mine. We'll never find out the answer, I suppose, but just thought it was worth flagging. But moving forward, then, Dave, we have Burnley. Uh, First game of the season at Anfield with with crowd, which I'm I can't wait for. Um, on the weekend just gone, they lost two one to Brighton. Uh, have you got any expectations when it comes to Burnley this season? I'm not sure if we flagged them last week as a potential uh, relegation candidate. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think we did actually. I can't remember if it was on this podcast or another, but yeah, we just we talked about the potential that things under in the um, Sean Dyche era could be on the cusp of going quite stale if, uh, if it hasn't started already. Because whilst they've always managed to keep themselves out of trouble, um, certainly in these last couple of seasons, they do seem to have periodic losing spells, you know, where things, they just seem to not be able to pick up results, quite easy to beat. And they normally manage to fix it just as it becomes a big problem. But uh, I expect maybe they're going to run out of steam this, this year. Certainly under this regime, uh, and a change might be needed for them to improve. Uh, I obviously didn't catch the game, Brighton Burnley. I think it was one of the three o'clocks, uh, and that's one thing I am missing that you can't watch all these. You basically last year you could watch every team, couldn't you? Really, every game was on the TV in some capacity. I've got that this year, so I saw they got beat two one. Didn't look a great result really in the context of having fans back in first home game of the season. A tough but beatable opponent, probably in Brighton. But I don't know if you've had a chance to have a look, Josh. I had a look at the underlying numbers and it looked like quite an even game, actually, um, in terms of shots, XG. And uh, obviously, Brighton kind of dominated proceedings in terms of being, uh, you know, from a, 
possession perspective, but we expected that given what Burnley are and given what Brighton are. Um, scored the goal from a set piece, one to watch, obviously, this weekend. But yeah, on the whole, I think it's probably for Liverpool a nice game uh, to come back to. Now, I know Burnley haven't always been uh, friends of Liverpool's often foes. In fact, and obviously, they ended the, uh, the winning record at Anfield last year. But I do expect it to be a lot different this time round. And I think uh, in terms of the potential opponents out there, I think Burnley isn't a bad one, actually. Yeah, I, th- I think it's insistent, actually, you just mentioned there, Burnley's numbers. It's, it's funny how they can... I think they literally had, you know, about thirty-five percent possession in in the match compared to Brighton's like sixty-five or something like that. But both teams the same number of shots. <laughs> it's funny how that 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 sort of thing works. Both teams fourteen shots, barely essentially half of the ball. Um, it's just funny how those things work out. But I suppose that sums up how Burnley have always been quite effective at, you know, executing their style. They don't need possession to, to generate scoring opportunities. Um, they are a little bit in your face, and as you mentioned there, most of their threat came from set pieces. It's funny, actually, because they actually scored from, from a set piece on the day. Um, but straight away, they are straight to the top of the stats table when it comes to um, in-swinging corners. They're absolutely obsessed with in-swinging corners, Dave. So um, this season, this the weekend just finished. The seven corners in total, and all seven were in swingers, zero out swingers, and zero straight. Um, and if you look at last season, which I'm going to get up now, they were about the same. Yeah, so in swingers, 140, out swingers, 13. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so they're very much. Do you know what they're doing, don't they? They're very much like put the ball on top of the goalkeeper, lots mm. of aggression, let the ball fumble about and we'll we'll find a goal. Yeah, well, I think for them, it's, you know, it's about playing the probabilities. And the, uh, I think they'll value the set pieces more than maybe other sides. Uh, statistically, in-swingers tend to lead to more shooting opportunities. That's a fact, you know, you can read about it everywhere. You know, Statsbom talked at length about it. They've looked into it a lot. Um, statistically, the, the the better delivery. Uh, so they obviously just double down on that um, by having the big men in there and and try and profit. So and to be fair, Josh, they've got uh, they've got good set piece takers, haven't they? You know, play who can good send in good in swinging crosses. So um, yeah, it's, it is it is one to watch out for. Although Liverpool a lot more uh, dominant aerial. The, uh, really this season or they should be with the likes of Van Dijk back in Gomez Matip etc uh, they were a little bit susceptible weren't they by their standards last season without so hopefully um, that won't be the case but still something to be aware of this week yeah well going into, going into this game I, I do feel a lot safer with, with Van Dijk and Matip at the back I think just so much of, of being these threats is, is in the air you know when it comes to the set pieces and when it comes to hoofing the ball up to the big two and thriving off second balls, if your centre-back is just comfortably winning the first challenge, those second balls don't really materialise that that often because that, the headers from the likes of Van Dijk and Matip just go to like Trent or, or Robertson, Simicast or whatever. So I think Liverpool will have a lot more control over, over Burnley's game than, than some past meetings. Um, obviously we've had a week of 
training coming into this game as well. Solely the, the press should be forcing long balls in the direction of Van Dijk in in quite an inaccurate way. You know, not particularly well hit long balls that 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 Van Dijk and Mazep should be able to deal with quite comfortably. I think. Um, I think there's a a slight prospect that Liverpool might go four two three one here, considering um, Firmino's impact when he came on. The fact that Firmino scored two a few days earlier in a friendly, and you know Jota, although he scored, he, he scored against Norwich, which is a reason why you wouldn't want to take him out. But I think generally, he did have a messy game. Um, he said he think he's quite capable of that, to be honest. But the fact he scored and the fact he's still just generally a very big threat. It could it could open up four two three one, but I think for me I do think if it's if you stick him with a front three, I think Firmino might stay in. I sorry, I think I think Firmino might come in because he's better than he, he he's bigger at least in the air when it comes to that sort of thing defensively, um, and obviously he seems to be in some sort of form at the minute. Seems to be thriving. So yeah, different options there, but I think specific when it comes to when it comes to Van Dijk and Mazep, I think Liverpool should just be able to cope with this one. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, as I said, that's uh, you know, the, the, I'm not saying it's that's the only threat, but it's as close as to being, isn't it? Really, uh, you know, not going to tear you apart in, in in open play. Um, if we're being brutally honest, and if they do, it'd be a shock. Uh, so that is the biggest threat. And when you've got improvements compared to last year, back in the side, key players back in that area. It does nullify that threat. Um, so I, I, I am quite confident that Liverpool will deal fairly easily with Burnley. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit conscious here that I'm, uh, I'm bigging them, bigging them up for the fall. But you know, fair play if end up with egg on my face, so be it. But just based on everything we know, um, all things considered, pre kickoff, you know, before the game. I just think Liverpool should should be able to deal quite easily with Burnley in this game. Full stadium as well, you know. Mm. So that that surely has to have some sort some form of impact, especially given it's the first game back. I think players just complete guesswork this, but I think specifically players such as Sadio Mane, I think seem to just get a kick off the off the crowd. I'm not sure what it is, um, but he seems to he seems to thrive off atmosphere like that. I think. Well, look, you only have to sorry me, but you only have to look, don't you? I know you touched on touched on at the start of the show, but you only have to look at the results last weekend. Um, you know, I'd put United in a, Old Trafford in a similar bracket to to yeah. uh, Liverpool Anfield, and they go and blitz lead five one, and it was a bit of a show they put on for the fans. And you know, the Bruno gets a hat trick. He's someone like Mane. You just touched on there. Who I think thrives on the. Uh, on the on the I was about to say audience there on the crowd you know just but having an audience I think he does thrive on that I think he's that type of player uh, you know Chelsea three nil um, Leicester win Everton I thought Everton kind of were bouncing with with the crowd being back in as well at Goodison and I you know Anfield is a very emotional place isn't it uh, and I do expect it to just give these players an extra 10-15 percent at least predictions then Dave let you go first um. I think it could be a little bit of a, a hammering, you know. Uh, for something tell, the same 4-1 to me, but I don't know where that goal is coming from, from Burnley, because uh, I can't see them breaking through. But maybe just one of these odd ones, uh, a repeat of it in the direct from the corner, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, 
I'm going to go four-one. As I said, I think Liverpool will uh, enjoy themselves in this game. Four-one. I'm going to go three-nil again. I think um, Liverpool will. I think it'll be quite similar to Norwich, but I expect Liverpool to be a little bit better performance-wise. And I think the midfield might change a little bit. You know, on on Sunday, I think it was Thiago and Henderson both played eighty minutes in a friendly against. I think it was Aston Villa. So there's potential there for them to come in. I don't think Ox in particular did enough to stay in. Fabinho, I think, is getting back to full fitness now. So maybe he can come back in. He's obviously better aerially as well than, than James Milner. So I'd expect Liverpool to just be a little bit better than all departments. And I think Burnley will threaten less, obviously, to kick off the crowd. So I think it'll be about 3-0, personally. Hopefully, at least. Um and I think it'll be a little bit more deserved, a little bit more of a deserved 3 0 than the Norwich game. Obviously, we've just established earlier that although it was a comfortable 3 0 win, it was probably more even than you'd, than you'd consider. So, this one I expect to be a bit more in Liverpool's favour. So, yeah, 3 0 on that one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Before we round up, Dave, uh, just a general talk about the opening weekend then. So, any major surprises? <laughs> I'm sure one comes to mind. Well, yeah, we, we have to start there, don't we, don't we really? Um, Tottenham City, you know, that was a big surprise. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to go overboard on that. I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise, but in, in many aspects it was because I think it's a really, really bad result for City. Like, I know we're so early into the season, but... Not the, not just results as well. Performance, performance yeah, yeah. The city is so weird. They're like, the the obviously the a great side in many aspects, but they also seem to just have these same issues. Like for me, I, at no point once they went behind did I think they're gonna pull this back here. I just did not expect them to do it. Um, they had issues against Leicester as well, and I think for all the money they spent, uh, obviously brought in Grealish, but. I think it's clear what they're missing. You know, the, the, they are kind of missing through the middle, uh, a, a clinical kind of, not even finish it, like, a, you know, focal points of the attack, uh, massively missing it. And I don't know, you know, Josh, I, I, I do expect them to come back strong in areas. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they went and won 15, 20 games at some point across the season. But it's far from perfect for them. Yeah, I think... I think they could easily go into this weekend now. They've got Norwich at the Etihad. They could easily go into it and win 5-0. Um, and that's no, no real disrespect to Norwich. That's just what City are capable of, especially when they're at home. But looking at the way they performed against Spurs, I don't think it was very good at all. I think they had a good start. But once Spurs remembered that a counter-attacking game plan has to involve counter-attacking, they, they, they started to cause City real problems. Um, and if you look at the, the, the stats associated with that game, uh, City took 18 shots, which, again, is is good. You know, that's up there with league leading levels, Liverpool level and stuff. But they faced 14. Um, now, that's one fewer than Norwich took against Liverpool, which makes it sound decent because they faced spares. But 14, I, I, I think I tweeted this after the game, 14, when compared to all of their Premier League games last season, they only faced 14 in one game. 
and that was against Brighton the, uh, towards the end of the season. I think they might have won the league. They actually lost the game 3-2. But somehow, Brighton, Brighton accumulated um, 19 shots against City in that game. I'm not sure if the Champions League semi-final or something like that was around the corner for City or whatever. So they just switched off. But City just don't tend to face anywhere near that amount. I think last season they averaged about seven faced per match. So to face double that amount against Spurs, 14, you know, it doesn't really bode well. And I think another thing that I tweeted, which is just general, a general take, I suppose. But I really don't think that the approach that City adopted last season is suited to fans, atmospheres, hard tackling being allowed by referees a bit more so this season compared to last few VAR calls. I think last season was perfect for City because no fans in the ground, no atmosphere in stadiums. Um, they were playing a strikerless system. They were playing lots and lots of short passes. Guardiola said that himself, really slow tempo, walking with the ball at times. But when you're walking with the ball in a full stadium, it just looks a bit weirder. Neville called it out a few times as to why it's what what are they doing basically. Um and the other team can just kind of get a bit more of a boost and hang on a bit more when they've got support from fifty thousand people around them. And whenever they get the ball and a counter attack starts to materialise, the fans are on the edge of the seats and things. Uh whenever a mistake happens on City's possession, the fans can get on the back and start shouting things and I just don't think I, I think looking looking back at last season, everything City was was based on was control. It was just control, control, control in in every department. I just think this season it will be harder to establish that control because of the, the the slight changes when it comes to refereeing and when it comes to pack stadiums. I I, I agree to an extent, um, but I do also think that's kind of what they've been doing since Guardiola come in. Uh, Pre-COVID, so see, I disagree. Well, I really mm-hmm. disagree. I don't. I don't think this. I don't think last season's City was anything like the Centurions or the the team that just about edged Liverpool out. I, I think that that those teams were so much more f- full throttle and vertical, a um, lot more yeah. attacking. I still last thought you were really smaller. short. Yeah. I said, well, okay, that could have been the case, but uh, I don't know if other influences might have been that, just the way the whole game seemed to be across the Premier League a lot slower last year. You know, tempo mm. seemed to be slower. You know, pressing was down, we know that. Um, and I, I, okay, I agree in that sense, that suits, but I still believe that's stylistically what City are about. And I do still expect them to be really successful doing it this year. But the alarm bells are there. I do understand what you're saying. And, I think what stand, stood out for me specifically in this fixture was, um, obviously that was the f- well the fourth defeat in in the run uh, on a run for City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. There was a Champions League game, two Premier League games, and then the game on Sunday. You know the two Premier League defeats that they had last time. Um, if you're being brutally honest, not to take nothing away from Tottenham, but they did look a bit like smashing grabs. Obviously, it was kind of sitting in deep, hitting on the counter. Uh, but City had something like 35 shots combined in those two meetings. At an XG of something like 4.3 combined. You look at Sunday, and I think you just touched on the numbers there, Josh. 
you know, there was nothing between the two teams, XG-wise, very similar. Uh, shots accumulated were very similar. You could make a case that Tottenham did deserve the victory, or at least it was just a, a very even competitive game. Um, and that would be the alarm bells for me, definitely, with City, because you, you can't really say that was a bit of an anomaly in terms of in terms of a defeat. It's it's kind of like it was it was a flip of a coin and on that basis probably warranted and that would be a massive uh, concern for me with City going forward uh, and then throwing everything you've just been saying there. It doesn't look as straightforward as maybe it did, you know, a couple of weeks ago because um, we can't just thought, oh, City really good. They put Grealish in there, they're going to be great and maybe we, we, we've seen there after, after Sunday that's not going to be as straightforward. Yeah, like you know, he, he, even the way City defended last season, I thought was, was slightly different to past City sides under Guardiola. You know, with Ruben Diaz in the team and with Rodri in defensive midfield, as opposed to um, Fernandinho in years gone by, who's one of the best around when it comes to covering ground. I feel like City were they they, they just pressed relentlessly high. Um, Less often, less last season. I think last season they were more inclined to retreat into a block once the initial press had been beaten. Um, and I just, I, I do just generally think on the control side, that they were, they were a lot more controlling last season. They were a lot more founded upon defence and control. Whereas I think in years gone by, for me at least, they were just so attacking, just ridiculously attacking all over. Obviously, lots of control as well, but. You know, the way De Bruyne plays, they had Levo Sani in there, Sergio Aguero was playing. Um, they had a weaker defence, really, when it comes to centre-halves. So I think last season they were more reliant on control for me than, than attacking football, which was the case a few years ago, in my opinion. And I think just going into this season, the way the refereeing seems to be, the way the atmosphere is going to get up stadiums and supporters and stuff, I think it's going to be a little bit trickier for City to, con- to, to truly control proceedings for 90 minutes this season compared to last they will still do it in plenty of games especially at home so this 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 weekend probably be a comfortable win but particularly away i i think it could be it could be tricky for city this season i'm gonna make a call now actually so a little prediction earlier in the season now we can maybe come back to this you know after christmas or something like that towards the end of the season but i'm not sure how how many games city won last season away from home but I think there'll be notably fewer this season. I think I don't think City will have anywhere near as much away success this season as they did last season. Um, just just stemming from what I've just mentioned there. But I think aside from City, uh, obviously United look very good against their Leeds, and Chelsea looked very good against Palace, and that was without Romelu Lukaku. Obviously United without Rafael Varane as well. And basically, and, uh, Sancho wasn't it? No, Sancho. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. Have any of your thoughts changed on either of those two teams since before the season started, or you know, anything like that? Um, I thought United did look really good. Uh, the only thing that stands out for me in that one is, you know, United blitzed Leeds at Old Trafford last season as well. Um, and I think Solskjaer just has Bielsa's number a little bit because Leeds don't really adapt how they approach things. Now, admittedly, you know, I didn't, I haven't studied that game from a tactical perspective beyond just watching it on Saturday. 
but I did last year, uh, and I thought he just bypassed the kind of um, you know that's kind of two tiered man marking thing that leads to. Uh, I thought yeah, he's bypassed that with ease. He had so many ways to overcome it last year. Um, as I said, I don't want. I, I probably need to have a look at the underlying numbers on that game because I, I, whether whether it was a fight. Oh, hold on, I'm looking now. I'm only on understat. 1.64 xG versus uh, 0.57. So it was, it was uh, on paper at least not a 5-1 victory, uh, but it was probably still a worthy victory for United. And given how clinical they can be, you know the players they have, I think they are going to be a threat. Chelsea looks strong, um, but again, you know Palace, bit of an unknown quantity under Vieira this season. Uh, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. I'd be interested to see how Chelsea performs against Liverpool in. I think it's two weeks, is it? Um, that'll be more of an acid test for them. But yeah, when you think that both those sides we just talked about have got Varane to go in, uh, you've got Sancho, you've got Lukaku to go in at Chelsea. I'm not going to change any predictions at this stage, uh, but I just think it was it was certainly kind of good statements by both sides that they're, they're going to be uh, tough teams to overcome this year. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that, really. Um, one insistent note regarding Chelsea I thought they were probably the most comfortable side over the weekend but they're still similarly in the mould of last season uh, when it comes to Tuchel being defence first really even though it's obviously very attacking football at the same time what I mean by that is uh, Palace took the fewest shots over the course of the weekend they only took four so if you're keeping if you're restricting your your opponents to four shots, that's very very few. But alongside that, Chelsea themselves only took thirteen. That is fewer than twelve other teams in the league. Twelve sides in the league outshot Chelsea this this weekend, including Burnley, you know Norwich, West Ham, Everton, Spurs against City. They all took more shots than Chelsea. So Chelsea was. Quite a low, a low, a low shooting game, if you want to call it that. Uh, Thirteen shots for Chelsea and just four for Palace. That's certainly enough for Chelsea to win the game. Very much in favour of, of Chelsea, but still not not that much on the attacking side. Obviously, Liverpool took nineteen shots, for example. So it's. It, I thought Tuchel over the summer might have tried to go a bit more on, on the offense and, and sacrifice defense a little bit. But it doesn't really look like that much. It looks like it's still very much Chelsea control on Everton, facing a few shots and taking enough in attack themselves to win a game. But I think Lukaku could be a bit of a game changer for them. Be interesting to see how they do. I do think they're a major threat for the title. And United, I'll be interested to see United this weekend because they've got to go away to Southampton. Um, they've got to experience the away crowd that Liverpool have just dealt with fairly comfortably. And, you know, as a Liverpool fan watching that game on the weekend against Norwich, we did get through it comfortably. As, as we just said in this podcast, then it wasn't a comfortable game. And it wasn't sp- specifically the early stages. It was quite hard to manage. So I think if United go to Southampton, I think specifically early on, they might, you know, after a 5-1 win, they might have to struggle struggle a little bit there. So it'll be interesting. If they come through that one with a, with a fairly comfortable win, maybe I'll take a bit more note. But... You know, beating Leeds five one, as you said, is not that different to last season, is it? It'll be it'll be this certain title tests that will mm-hmm. that will prove United's credentials. And I think I said 
just then that Liverpool last on on the weekend against Norwich behaved a little bit like champions in a way when it comes to coming away with three points. It'll be interesting to see if United can manage that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I agree. Southampton didn't look that great on the weekend, no. but you know that is. It, it, I think it is a different different ball game when you when you're going into the into their home stadium um, with fans on sides for the first time in a long time. You're going to get an extra 10, 20 percent from that team, um, and it normally makes life more difficult. So, yeah, it's a it will be interesting. You, you just said that then. I think it will be interesting to see how they do. Um, if they steamroll then, then you know we have to sit up and pay attention to them, definitely. It's worth saying as well, Chelsea, Chelsea have got Arsenal. So, you know, on, on the back of this weekend, I think the last time Chelsea faced Arsenal, I think Arsenal won, didn't they? It might have been, a, I think, in fact, I think it was very much a smash and grab, but they still come away with three points. So, I think, it, you know, it wasn't ruled out this weekend for Liverpool to, to be the only one out of the top four to, to be on six points, but you know, I, I still expect Chelsea to win, I think. Um, yeah. And United will. But uh, these are the tests that you're going to get through the course of the season. So, anyway, Dave, week one done, mate. Um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. Good to be back. Yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about Burnley and to, to preview what is going to be a big game against Chelsea. So, be sure to tune in and uh, we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.